Hey everybody, you're listening to Top Quartile, where we bring you stories from the front lines of growth in community-focused financial services. Well, Ashish, welcome to Top Quartile. So glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Likewise, Dan. Yeah, so for everybody who may be listening, I know we go way back, but give kind of a sketch about your background and what you've been doing recently and what you're up to now. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So broad strokes, went to engineering school long time back and after a few years in the industry, primarily in consumer industry, consumer goods, I just realized that, you know, my heart and passion really lied in being more at the front end of things. So went to Owen, had a great two-year run there at the business school there where I was fortunate to meet you. And then since then, I have really dabbled. I've seen a variety of marketing growth roles across large organizations like Capital One, before Capital One, GMAC, in their financial services division. And then around 2014, I, I kind of, you know, got bit by the entrepreneurial bug and, and started really, you know, I transitioned to venture-backed high-growth fintech businesses. So after Capital One, I was, I was at Remitly, which is a payments business. And then now, most recently, I was at Prosper for last one year, again, a lending business before now transitioning into Kin Insurance, which is an insurtech business out of Chicago. So again, a variety of growth marketing roles across primary direct-to-consumer and both, you know, large organizations and VC-backed businesses. What a great background and very seen a lot in the, both the sort of traditional space and the fintech space. So um, maybe on a personal level, what's sort of one fascinating fact that most people don't know about Ashish? Yeah, I'll, I'll share two. You asked for one, so I apologize because I don't know if oh, I, sure. any, yeah. <laughs> any one of those are terribly fascinating on their own, but in combination. <laughs> so one is, look, I don't have a formal degree in marketing like most of our classmates at Owen. Dan, if you recall, after going through a lot of agony of what major to choose, I just started following my heart and just did classes that interested me. And I was few credits short of marketing as a major, but that still didn't kind of, you know, stand in my way of finding my, you know, building a career in marketing. So kind of fascinating. And then on a more personal note, I used to be very, very, you know, phobic of dogs and uncomfortable of dogs. And But, you know, here we are during COVID, got somehow talked into adopting a dog. And now we have, I'm a doting and a very kind of proud parent to a 80-pound lab mix. Her name is Gucci. And my relationship <laughs> with her is just something that even I could not imagine. And it's very special. So someone told me three years back that I'll have a 80-pound dog for someone like me who was uncomfortable with even smallest of puppy, I would have said, hell no. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> here we are. And you went, you know, you went, you went right in big, big, go big or go home. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think courtesy, thanks to my wife and my younger one. <laughs> there you go. Well, fun. So thinking about what you, what you've seen recently, and I know it's kind of early at Kim in the insurance space, but, you know, Prosper must have been fascinating to be at over the last you know, year or two in what we're seeing with the industry environment. So, you know, maybe, you know, you probably can't talk about some of those with specifics, but just what do you see in lending and, you know, kind of that, that market space and that maybe taught you something about consumer behavior and those kind of things? Yeah, I mean, look, it's been very, very interesting. You know, I, I would say I was one of those fortunate to see, you know, see kind of the roller coaster ride, right? You see kind of the good times, you know, when the economy is in an expansion mode and credit is kind of, you know, easier and growing. And then kind of 2008 happened and then kind of we were again in this run up to COVID and COVID obviously accelerated some of the, I would grow, I would say growth fueled by the monetary policies and 
digital adoption. Now here we are again, kind of a little bit in that contraction mode and higher interest rates. So what do you see happening really across lending right now is, and I'll say more specifically in the current context, is frankly for lenders, really two things top of mind, right? One is your cost of funds goes up and which basically puts pressure on your, you know, basically bottom line and the economics of these different lending segments. And secondly, you're also rightfully so keeping a closer eye on on charge-offs and delinquencies because there's a direct impact of the interest rate environment that we are in. A combination of inflation, which has fueled obviously the increases in interest rate, you are seeing consumers, segments of consumers struggling. And the cost of borrowing has gone up, debt servicing has gone up. At the same time, you have credit appetite as well, because a lot of people want to have that flexibility, right, of, of having whether it's credit lines or whether having credit, multiple credit cards to really be ready for them any day. So as a lender, whether you are a prosper marketplace, a platform business like Prosper, or you are a bank, right now you're really keeping a much, much closer eye. You always worry about, look at these, but now it's really time to be very kind of double down, I would say, on keeping close eye on your cost of funds and delinquencies and unit economics at the end of the day. And what that is leading to from a customer perspective, I think for customers, it's going to be, they are going to see their cost of borrowing going up and certain segments are actually going to see their credit lines going down or frankly, credit availability might also reduce. That's the the unfortunate outcome of the environment we are in. Yeah. And so in terms of demand, what do you think you're seeing in terms of demand and maybe even channel preference? You look, consumer demand remains, I would say, as robust as ever. Like, and I wouldn't say that I've seen any indication that consumer demand is is yep. kind of going down. If anything, I think there are several offsets going on. Yes, there might be segments where kind of, you know, consumers for a variety of... So, for example, one of the big segments that I have worked with is, you know, when people are remodeling their homes and that leads to kind of people drawing on, you know, personal loans. I think there, because of just the economics of, you know, the borrowing now, people might be temporarily kind of holding off. But a lot of times what you see is demand shifting from uh, one product to another. So right now, for example, home equity line of credit is becoming for certain segments a better option than maybe borrowing on a personal loan which is an unsecured line but net net i would say consumer demand is actually kind of you know just remains as robust as ever from a channel perspective it's interesting i would say you know the only channel which i have seen really kind of you know sort of uh, year over year becoming a smaller part of market year's playbook is really your linear TV, your traditional cable TV, linear TV. Other than that, I would say, whether you know how you look at it for a market year, it's either a fun challenge on a given day or a, another day it's a nightmare, which is really the whole omni-channel attribution. Because yeah. people are now so seamlessly jumping across a podcast and Netflix and then a direct mail in their inbox. And it's really becoming hard for marketeers to ignore any of these touch points. I'm not saying each one of them work for every product, but it's definitely, you know, unlike the good old days where you just sent out a direct mail and you could attribute everything to that. Now that doesn't happen. So from a channel perspective, I would say increasing shift to digital. And it's I wish it was just one digital touch point. 
it's a whole plethora. And then it's kind of, you know, that in combination with a few out of home like direct mail leads to a playbook that, you know, is more of an attribution challenge right now rather than saying, hey, big tectonic shifts happening between digital yeah. and, and offline. And then within digital, of course, as you know, there are, you know, when you double click, there are shifts. If you're going after millennials, you know, don't even talk about Facebook. They don't even know what Facebook is. Then you talk about <laughs> Instagram. But but if you're talking about, you know, an older demographic, Facebook continues to be a big part of your targeting. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And I think you're, you're spot on about the importance of having an omnichannel mix and then being a, a, a tribute that what do you, what about sales channels or delivery channels? And obviously Prosper was very much focused on, you know, it was online origination only. Capital One, of course, had that same, some of that same mix other than outside the banking markets. But what, what are your thoughts in terms of how are consumers actually consuming financial services or applying for loans? Yeah. So what we are seeing, and and I I don't think it's much different than you know what you know some of the other folks might be seeing in this industry, is first of all. In general, while there is a strong preference and comfort increasingly across age groups to kind of, you know, do things digital and and thanks to Amazon, which has not only, I would say, you know, really made a large part of the population digital savvy and, and also at the same time raised people's expectations and what all people can do online. While that has happened, but within financial services, you still see for certain products, which tend to be high cognitive load on the purchase cycle, complex. And in certain parts of the journey, most notably acquisition, you see a very big role for actually a human contact and actually a sales conversation. And I won't go into too much details right now, but at Kin, we have some of that. We have, we are, we are a, we are a insure tech and we have a, you know, we, we, we are very contemporary when it comes to digital data technology and how we navigate our customers. But, you know, there is a segment of our customers that need that sales touch because of the yep. complexity of the product. And similarly, we saw the, saw saw some and that in some of the lending products I worked in. So it all comes down to really meeting where the customer is, what they need, and and starting with the customer problem that you're trying to solve, which going back to your question on the sales process, is really around building that trust and relationship with the customer to say, hey, there's a human on the other side. Yes, this could be overwhelming. These are the answers to your questions and really leaning in with empathy and trust and transparency. Yeah, very well said. And so you brought up technology and providers. I mean, sometimes it's kind of, you know, there's sometimes a sense of, hey, this is a total scale play, but, you know, you came from a startup background where you're, you know, building some of these capabilities on pretty small bases or, or partnering with others. But what's your, what's your thought on, you know, do you have to have, do you have to be gigantic to win in financial services? No, actually, I, I, I don't. I, I would humbly like to, you know, say I don't. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. You actually yeah. have to go after. What I would say is most important is going after a customer problem that has a decent enough, you know, size, target addressable market, and then just executing the heck out of it. I would say that is that is more important than they, I mean, you don't need to be, everyone should not be, cannot be a Capital One, a Chase or a Wells Fargo. Right. I think there's a there's a place for that kind of those, those organizations and there are things they do very well. But then at the same time, there's a place, you know, for some of the fintechs and insurtechs I've been associated in my career where we went after a legit customer problem where for a variety of reasons, there were large segments of customers that were not being well served by some of the large incumbents, the big banks. 
And there was tremendous value to be created for all stakeholders by executing very well and building a scalable solution, which we did case in point remotely. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm remembering a customer interview I observed one time. This was kind of a one-on-one where a really sharp young lady who was, you know, young millennial, maybe a Gen Zer, and she, you know, had had her you know, kind of regular job and she had a side hustle. And and so we were talking about what's, you know, how did she open an account for a business? And she said, I opened it at a local bank. Oh yeah, how'd that happen? Well, I opened it online. Well, why'd you pick the the local bank? Well, because I'm, I, I'm not sure I would ever win in that branch down the street. But if I had a problem, I wanted to be able to go in and talk to somebody. And so I think that just illustrates that omni-channel, you know, behavior like you're talking about. And the fact that, yeah, there's some skews by age, but it's, you know, I think it very well said of what's the problem you're trying to solve and then recognizing that people have, you know, a set of emotional needs as well as, you know, tangible or rational needs and how to, how to wrap that message in. And, and I think, yeah, we work with, we work with companies all over the country that are, they're really passionate about certain communities. And I think they're doing really well by, by keeping that, that kind of mindset in, in motion. Absolutely. What are, what's kind of exciting for you in marketing right now? So I would say, I mean, as you know, Dan, I mean, at the end of the day, I look at, I come at marketing like you from a very kind of performance oriented angle. And that doesn't mean I actually find even the whole debate between performance and brand are actually misguided. I think at the end of the day, right, right, perform, I mean, brand enhances performance and brand is just not a pretty logo or, 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 or words brand at the end of the day is your, how how basically you're, you are being perceived by your customers. That's kind of the overall kind of overarching package. So when I think about, you know, marketing and what excites me, I would say really, it's it's really two things. So one is on the performance marketing side, knowing that, you know, everything kind of starts at the end of the with data and analytics and insights. I think 10 years back, talking about unit economics, lifetime value and channel attribution and measuring your CAC, that was probably, you know, more contemporary. But now I think that has become table stakes. I think now really the next frontier really that I find both intellectually stimulating and a challenge for marketers is how do you more and more leverage this tons of data that every organization is now beginning to have thanks to, you know, all the technology and kind of, you know, infrastructure trends. How do you leverage this large amounts of data for more predictive analytics? And then kind of also take it to the next level, more personalization. So going back to your example of the young lady you talked about, how does, if I am that bank, how do I figure out that, hey, here is a segment of my customers because of their use case, I need to talk to them about the branch that is down the block, couple of blocks down where she lives versus some another person who actually has never a reason to go to a branch, right? So yeah. maybe don't even talk to them about it. So how do you create that personalized, you know, marketing and experience through the funnel, I think is the next level of challenge that I'm really excited from data. Lastly, I would say I'm really kind of, you know, thinking these days about, there's a lot of, I would say, I don't want to say hype. I think now it's becoming to be a legit excitement around AI. And what does that mean for marketing and marketing communications? I think that's another area that I'm really, uh, you know, intrigued and fascinated about. And I expect in next, you know, year or two, it will become a larger conversation in most rooms. Yeah. Yeah, and so picking up on your your comment on the, I totally agree with you on the the customer journey. And there's so many things out there that could be done, but you know, really leaning in on this idea of personalizing. Okay, and so one one of our mantras is we'd say start with the audience, not the channel. 
that's a kind of another way of saying what you just, what you said of, okay, thinking about who, who do you want to reach to solve particular needs with particular messages? And then, you know, to your point about data is there's, there's ways to wrap a message across multiple channels against that, that message, that person, and then be able to track, okay, what did that person do? You know, so, you know, this was the desired outcome. How do they do? And, and to solve, you know, the, you know, they may have seen the message on their phone, then worked at something on their work computer, but then ultimately, you know, walked into a branch and actually bought something after having a conversation with a person and, or vice versa, right? They might've gotten, they might've seen some offline message, looked at something on their, you know, another computer, not even connected with their household, but then ultimately bought on the website. And so being able, that's kind of a fun challenge and one that's fun to solve for, for clients, but it really speaks to that, you know, that kind of old, old saw of being personalized, delivering the right message to the right person, and then being able to observe, okay, what's the impact? Because, you know, relevancy ultimately is if, if you're presenting a message and somebody's not buying, that's ultimately not relevant. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, you talked about some of the emerging channels, you talked about linear TV, you know, video is a, is a fun new playground because you can now target it so precisely. It's introducing capabilities, you know, for brands that, you know, may never even thought about TV. Well, now they can, you know, deliver it without having to buy a huge market that they have a ton of waste in. For marketeers, I think what the the fun right now is really fun times in terms of given the nature of the digital media, you can go as precise as you want and you can get quick signals. So testing and learning. I mean, I've deal, I've dealt in my, my prior life with linear TV and linear TV was a big part of our performance marketing strategy. But the attribution challenges with linear TV, there was still an element of kind of judgment and a little bit of kind of, you know, I wouldn't say leap of faith, but kind of saying, yeah, you know, in absence of other data and evidence, this is a reasonable hypothesis to stand by that linear TV is working for us. That's not the case in digital. I think digital, you can get some much more reliable and stronger signals pretty quickly to say if your video content is working and if it's reaching the right audience. Yeah, well said. And then just orchestrating that whole go-to-market, you know, with the, the, the tools, the marketing is, is really presenting a very, it's a key part of the growth strategy of being able to give some of those intelligence to the sales team. To your point about, you know, it's a, it's a combined approach of, you know, marketing and sales working together to generate growth, you know, whether or not somebody's looking for, you know, deposits or loans or combination or, you know, payments. There's so many tools out there, but, you know, sorting through and deciding where do you focus is probably more important than ever before. Exactly. Yeah. What are maybe some of your key, well, we already talked about what you're excited about. What are, you know, what are some of the fundamental mantras or key lessons learned that you think are, you know, broadly applicable to the industry? Yeah, I would say, you know, I think these are applicable to any business on any kind of, you know, growth marketing team across industries. But, you know, given that financial services and is and direct-to-consumer is what I know, so I can, I can say with confidence for this particular segment, what really I think, you know, I tend to focus on more and more as I've kind of had my healthy share of learnings and hits and misses is really, you know, starting and with a team and building a team, obviously, around 
starting has to start with the strategy. Like what is the marketing and growth strategy has to very tightly align and ladder up to business strategy. And once you have done that, then the team and the talent you create around it, that has to be really, you know, these, and and, and it's kind of, you know, really, uh, it does require, you know, I would say an extreme commitment across the organization, deep commitment to hiring, but really building a team and hiring folks who are, First of all, athletes, and I say athletes mm-hmm. because these days, just the the pace of change, and you know whether it is Google's SEO algorithms or Facebook yep. bidding criteria, everything is so dynamic. Things are no longer static. Things are so you need to be you need to have athletes who have high intellectual curiosity, great kind of you know I would say le- learners, but at the same time, very customer empathetic. And 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 these are the kind of things, frankly, Dan. These are becoming harder and harder to screen for in the interview, right? Yeah. And 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 I would say really focusing on these and building a team of such talent around you, I I think has led to always, in my experience, great outcomes, either personally in things that I have been involved in, or when I've seen some other organizations either make mistakes or do things really well. And it all started with what was the talent on the team? Were you hiring for a digital marketing expert or were you hiring for all these attributes who by the way has knowledge of digital marketing so and those are two different things that you get two different outcomes very great insight and of course that applies to hiring ftes as well as partners across across the board i think even yeah. with partners right i mean yeah you you know this as well as i do you have all kinds of partners out there everyone you know obviously is good at what they do but then when it comes down to at least in my case like financial services the needs that the businesses i tend to have tend to have that i have been associated with it comes down to that deep curiosity agility and then combination of those become more important versus this hey resume that we have been in the business 30 years and we work with fortune 30 clients like you know what that that just alone is just not not at all sufficient yeah very well said so maybe going back in time if you could go back to yourself when we were at owen together and sit down with yourself and share advice based on what you know now what would you share you know, I would just reiterate with conviction the advice, great advice that I got from, you know, one of our seniors, you know, the, the graduating class when you and I were in our first year of MBA. And that was around this whole discussion of major. Don't obsess in your business yeah. school or maybe in any, but even when you're, you're in, you know, undergrad, which is the advice I gave to my son who just started college. Don't obsess too much about the major. I mean, yes, obsess it to the point that you need a major to graduate, right? If that's what your university requirements are. But beyond that, really, you know, obsess about really learning and and figuring out what really excites you, interests you. So in my case, I took the classes that interested me and they spanned across accounting, finance, HR, marketing. And, and, and I think the value that I've seen of that coming out now 20 years later is that just really prepares you for as you grow in your career really well because you have this broad perspective. And at the end of the day, any business problem is very rarely very unidimensional, right? I mean, every yeah. business problem has multiple implications, multiple aspects to it. So I would say that advice, I would just reiterate even more to myself. And and that what my, that might lead to is maybe there were a few things here and there that I did more out of a fad or, or some misguided perception I had back then. But I think net-net, it turned out okay by me just following my interest. Yeah, that sense of curiosity, you know, kind of applied curiosity. Yeah, very well said. 
It's hard to believe our time is wrapping up. You know, the, the time flew by as we were chatting. Any other final thoughts before you sign off? No, I, I no, no really final thought of thoughts, except I really enjoyed our conversation. And I think each and every of your questions were very thoughtful. And I, I can totally imagine, you know, why you wanted to discuss some of these topics, because they're really so relevant and contemporary to kind of what's going on right now, you know, across across industries, definitely in financial services, and especially getting into this environment where, you know, marketing budgets are rightfully being pulled back. And there's a nervousness around consumer demand and kind of, you know, business future, business results, at least in the immediate future. And really what will at the end of the day, you know, the best in class market years over next 12, 18 months have to really make sure that they are measuring what they're doing. And it's everything is tied to the customer problem at the end of the day. Yeah. And your point very well said of tied to the customer problem and then measuring that impact across on the channel and being accountable. And, you know, maybe if there's a partner that works with banks that gets paid on performance, then that's an even better thing because then if performance suffers, then, you know, that helps the, the bank save some money or at least take some risk out of the equation. So that's the one thing that we're, exactly. we're excited to help them, helping clients, you know, adapt and be performed. So awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Dan, and have a great rest of your day. That's it for today on Top Quartile. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Top Quartile wherever you find podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating. And if you're interested in getting an opportunity assessment, head over to infusionmarketinggroup.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.